40. Slides. All right, Heavenly Father, thank you for receiving our praise and worship, and thank you for reminding us of the the key, the cornerstone of all time and history, Jesus Christ, on his cross and his resurrection. You change history, you change our life. Now we pray that you will open your word. Let your secrets be, be revealed. Let, it sh- let your light shine into our mind and our soul. Give us understanding, give us uh, uh, conviction, give us willingness to obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Why did Paul have a clear conscience? 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 16. Um, I forgot who it was, the name, but in Greek mythology, uh, a man went went to Egypt and uh, he was asked a puzzle by the Sphinx there. Now it's just a stone, but it was alive then, okay? Supposedly. And the Sphinx asked, what creature begins to walk in four legs? later in two legs, and finally in three legs. What creature? I heard it. Man, when you are a baby, you walk on four legs. You crawl. When you are grown up, you walk on two legs. When you are old, you need a cane. So you walk on three legs. Okay. This tells us, generally speaking, for every man, every human being, there are three stages in your life. When you're a child, when you're an adult, and when you're getting old. Okay. And uh, in the three sections, you ask yourself three questions. And this is from our honored Doug Offerman. Okay, so I call it the Offerman Maxim. I don't think it can be get better. Okay. <laughs> so he said he read this and he, he was humbled. So, okay, good. You should be proud of yourself. This is well, well said. He said, the three questions a man asks himself, when he's young, am I loved? True, right? And when he is an adult, am I important? And when he's getting old, am I leaving a good legacy? Okay. And at the third stage is when you especially want to seek for a clear conscience. What is a clear conscience? A clear conscience is having nothing to regret, having done one's best to please God through serving the people. That's my definition. Of course, it's based on biblical wisdom. A clear conscience, let me repeat it, is having nothing to regret, having done one's best to please God through serving the people. Why do I say this? Because you can't please everybody. There are always some people who will criticize you, who will think that you fall short of their expected standard, and then sometimes giving you accusations that is untrue, right? And there are sometimes your goals do not get realized. Man plan and God make them real. Right? So, you know, I plan to get a degree, a second PhD in seminary. I thought it was a slam dunk. I had a first dissertation written, then 
now some the the author has a prejudice and he said the, the, the first reader he said i'm i'm not qualified to judge this right and wrong and since i'm the expert nobody else is going to judge this so okay i got a second dissertation basically written and then i preach here it's one of the sermon on the month first on chronology which is really my heart i love chronology because chronology is based is the base of history Okay, and history is the base of your theology. Okay, if you got them chronologically wrong, you're gonna get cause and effect wrong. So, I really like to get the foundation right because I was trained as a physicist, a scientist, and became a theologian and pastor. So, I want to get things right. Okay, so you know, I thought chronology was slam dunk. It wasn't. <laughs> I got a discovery in the correspondence between the. Beatitudes and the body of the sermon, the sermonettes. We preached here, and everybody thought, okay, makes sense, great. It's new, you know, a PhD is supposedly do something nobody had done before, right? People have said, if you have gone to college, you learn a slice of any field. You learn a little bit of any field. If you have a master's degree, you, you, you learn everything that has been done by others about a field. If you're a PhD, you're supposed to poke out a little bit having done something that they've never done before, right? But sometimes that discovery is a global exp expansion rather than poking out a little bit, but expanding of the whole thing a little bit. And that's called ground, ground shaking things. And uh, I happen to have found those. I mean, thank God. I mean, I'm glad, but it's not easy to be received. So I had one thing with the Sermon on the Mount. It was in contradiction, in position to uh, one of our four, former uh, presidents of the seminary who held that position 40 years ago. And people don't want to offend somebody. So, okay, I choose another one. So I'm still struggling on this one. I'm over the time, so I have to appeal and appeal. So sometimes people's, you know, your, your plan do not get it realized. So my question is, for me, do I have a clear conscience? Having I done my best? to serve God, to please God by serving the people. And I do. So I have nothing to regret. Getting a degree or not, doesn't really matter. If I get it, good. If I don't get it, good. Okay? So that's the way for a Christian to deal with life. Because life is not always easy, and usually is not. Okay? So Paul, Paul was just in such a situation. Okay? That's why he defends. He says, I have a clear conscience. For a born-again Christian who is in fellowship with God, okay, I'm taking two steps. First of all, you must be born again. God must regenerate your spirit and is sanctifying your soul. Okay, Your soul is being sanctified, so you're not always holy. That's why we need the confession. We need the communion. It kind of pushes us to come back. And uh, we are guaranteed at the, at the end that we'll be totally glorified. Okay? Uh, but we're in the process. So in the process, you have been born again and you are in fellowship with God. That means you don't have unconfessed sins that block your prayer. Okay, So you have sinned, but you pray to confess. You, I, I hope you have confessed your sin when you take communion. But otherwise, the communion thing, believe it or not, is going to do damage to your body. Promised by the Bible. Make you sick or die if you take communion without confession. Okay? That's why communion is good to be frequent because it pushes us to confess. All right? So, um, if you have 
confess your sins, and you are on the path of you know sanctification. You have fellowship with God. You are friends with God. Okay, you, you are sitting at one table eating a meal together. That's friends. Okay, so you don't have things to hide from God. You have nothing that you can't hide anyway. Anyway, so if you're honest with God, you're in fellowship. If you're in this case, you know that all your sins have been forgiven. You don't need to worry about them. Okay, including your future sins. Not 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 only about passing. No matter how great. Your sins were. It has been wiped out. God doesn't even remember it. Okay, that's how great grace is. Okay, your future sins also have been forgiven, and this should not prompt you to sin, because you want to sin, because you have been forgiven. You have never been saved. <laughs> okay, <laughs> those who have been saved knows that uh, know that their sin has been forgiven, but never want to sin. They sin simply because when there are times when they are weak, when they're tempted, they didn't hold up. Okay, it's not because they want to, and they always regret sin. Okay, their conscience is a lie; will bite them when they sin. Okay, and that's the time to come back to the cross to confess and repent and be brought back to fellowship. Okay, so the love of God for you should never be in question. God loves you. Period. There's nothing can deny that. He gave you His Son to die on the cross. There's nothing more you can expect from a person who loves you. Okay. Now, killing oneself, I think, is even easier than killing one's son for the other. You know that? This is why God gave Abraham the test on, on Isaac. So Abraham found Isaac but didn't sacrifice because Isaac would not qualify as a deep. Redeemer, right? He is regular sinner. But Abraham showed that he feared God and he loved God. That's why God gave the Savior through Abraham,、uh, the only begotten Son, just like Isaac to、uh, to Abraham. So, the love of God for you should never be in doubt. You should be secure. So, the question of a child, "Am I loved?" is already answered, right? Don't ask that again. Okay. The second question, as an adult, am I important? Well, your importance depends on how much you can serve God by serving people. Find the place where you're useful. Make yourself useful. Then you're important. Okay. <laughs> the importance is not how others think of you; it's how you have done in filling the needs of people. That God has put into your heart. Okay, you make yourself important. In other words, okay. So you shouldn't, shouldn't ask that question. Am I important? No. You know, am I making myself important to others? That is the question. Okay. And、uh, the third question: Am I leaving a good legacy? Is whether you have a clear conscience. Okay. All a born again Christian who is in fellowship with God. Cares about and want is to please God, their Father. Okay. If you are born of your Father, you want to be like Him, and you want Him to approve of you. Okay, and、um, didn't every son have that expectation? I want to be approved by my Father, right? And daughters too, you know, that's more loved by my Father. Okay, and uh, uh, you want to please your 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 father, who is your God, and he is perfect. So perfection is your goal. You want to be like him. 
You know you can't reach it, but you will try. Right? And that's Christian goal. We want to be perfect people. We are not, but we try. And where we can't, Christ has filled it. Right? And where we, we are unable, Holy Spirit is enabling us to get better. Right? So that's all we want, is to please our Heavenly Father. And all a born-again Christian who is in fellowship with God care about is how to have a clear conscience. It's never about pleasing people. It's about having clear conscience. Okay? Which is having nothing to regret. Having done one's best to please God through serving the people. That's when you have a clear conscience. So, usually it is said that an artwork is worth more when the artist is dead. I know some artists whose works are kept, uh, and the owners of the works tell them they wish they're dead. (laughs) Causing joke. But, But it means it will be more expensive. So Paul now is regarded as the standard of New Testament theology by Protestant Christians, right? Pretty much. If you agree with Paul, you're right. If you don't agree, Paul, you're a heretic, right? Well, I think sometimes we don't give Jesus' own saying and Peter's sayings their place. Okay? You should give them their due. Okay? Of course, ever said Jesus, but Jesus' sayings sometimes are cryptic. <laughs> but Peter... Everybody dates Peter's writings later than Paul's and saying he co- he copied Paul. Therefore, it has to be later. Why can't it be the other way around? Well, historically, if you match the situation, he wrote 1 Peter as the first of all epistles. And it's more likely that Paul developed Peter's teaching than the other way around. So, you know, why do Protestants not trying to give Peter his due? Fear of Catholics. Because <laughs> Catholics can be, you know, overbearing when they claim too much from Peter. Okay? You know, Peter was the first bishop of Rome, true. He wasn't the first pope, because the first pope really was Gregory I. <laughs> so there's no pope before him. Okay? And uh, Peter was the first bishop of Rome. Does that mean later bishops of Rome are first among other archbishops? That's questionable. But so the Catholics may overstretch, but the Protestants, in order not to give Catholics a weapon, they don't give Peter the historical truth. Honor. That's not right either. So anyway, right now Paul is honored. Okay? He's dead, his artwork, his writings are now worth a lot. But during his lifetime, Paul was viewed as a failure or a traitor by his brethren in bloodline, and some supposedly also his spiritual brother. Okay. Paul was accused of three crimes. Number one, he was preaching for money. Number two, he was sexually immoral. And number three, he did not care for people. He just want to talk. You talk people into Say, I believe, so can't stop talking to you. <laughs> That's what they say. Well, here is Paul defending himself. He has no regret in verse 2 1, 1 Thessalonians. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. 
See, Paul is convinced that his brief ministry in Thessalonica was not in vain. By having told the truth and borne eternal fruit, despite the many persecutions. Okay. Before coming Thessalonica, coming to Thessalonica, Paul and his team were already mistreated in Philippi. For normal people, they for they are discouraged by the uh, well hardships in life. But for servants of God, they never give up. They just find another place to serve. Okay. So this is Paul. He said, I have no regret. We didn't give up. We told you the truth in boldness. Even if we are facing much opposition and you are our eternal fruit. So we did not visit you in vain. And Paul came to Europe rather than Asia because of having seen the Macedonian vision in Troas. Okay? According to Acts 69 through 10. Uh, this is during Paul's second missionary journey. He went through the land that he, uh, uh, where he planted churches in Asia Minor, and he reached the border between Asia and Europe. That's Troas, the ancient Troy. Remember the War of Troy, written by Homer. That's kind of the beginning of Western civilization. Yeah, and uh, that city is today is called Troy Fort under there. And he went went to Troas, where he met. Luke, who became the fourth member of his team. Okay, in his second missionary journey, he was with Silas, and then he picked up Timothy in the middle at, uh, and, uh, at Lystra, and then he picked up Luke at Troas. Why was Luke at Troas? Well, Luke, as we learned, was one of the 70 apostles, according to Hippolytus, the church father who wrote this, 12 apostles and 70 apostles, which was the document was found in the 19th century. That's why today a lot of people don't know about it. It's in our church father's volume, but nobody don't know about it. Luke and Mark, the evangelist, there are three Marks. <laughs> Mark the evangelist, Mark uh, the cousin of Barnabas, and John Mark. There are three different persons. And so are um, Silas and Silvanus, different persons. Okay. Um, Luke and Mark were among those disciples who left Jesus when he said the hard saying. He said, in John 6, recording, that he uh, wants his disciples to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Otherwise, they're not qualified to be disciples. Of course, this meaning spiritual one, as we have done symbolically in our communion, but the disciples didn't understand. Some of those took it literally, and they thought, he's wanting us to be cannibals, and this scary, and we're leaving. So Luke and Mark were among those who left. They never knew about Jesus' death and resurrection, and then they were not born again believers. They were in a trial, yes, of his life, their lives, and stayed in their hometown, wherever it is. And then later, they were somehow providentially picked up by Peter and Paul. Peter brought Mark to faith, and Mark became his travel companion and interpreter, who translated for Peter in Rome and wrote down the sermon note as the Gospel of Mark. And Luke became the personal physician of Paul. So he was the fourth member of um, Paul's team for the second missionary journey. Okay. And uh, um, the, uh, when he was in Troas, maybe having met Luke, he was deciding whether to turn east to go to Asia or turn west to go to Europe. 
when he had a dream in which God gave him a vision in which he saw a man in the Macedonian um, clothing, which is in today's Greece, saying, please come to help us. And then he decided to go west, thinking it was God's calling. So the history of the world is set because the gospel from then on always went west and west and west. Is there a movie going west or something? Huh? What? North by Northwest. Okay, we're going to show that in the theater pretty soon, right? Yeah, just reminded me. So, the gospel always goes north and by Northwest. <laughs> it's going on the Northern Hemisphere, and it goes west from Jerusalem to Europe and to America and to Asia and go back to Jerusalem. And that's the world history, and so does civilization spread. It is, you can't you know, deny it's a fact. So this all because a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. We, Luke, the author, was already part of the team. Okay. From then on, Acts have two portions. First it says I, later it says we. Okay, at first it says he, maybe later it says we. Okay. So in Philippi, Paul's team converted Lydia, the merchant of the purple. Lydia was from Thyatira in Asia Minor. She was a merchant of the purple. The purple is an expensive cloth. It was dyed from you know, crushing many seashells produced only in Phoenicia, which is today's uh, Lebanon. Okay, so it's expensive, but purple is the color of the royalty. So rich people like to buy them with high price. That's why Lydia was a pretty well-off merchant. Okay, so once she was converted, she and her household were converted, and she insisted to treat the missionaries in her house. And then she, uh, from then on, became a supporter of Paul's missionary team. That's why later, when Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he thanked them saying, you are the best church. From the beginning, you are a missionary, uh, mission-supporting church. You know, churches can become introspective and selfish. Really, okay? They care just about how to keep things run smoothly here, okay? And that is not a good church. That may be a good church in the world idea. It's not good in my God's idea. Okay. Our church, okay, Abilene Bible Church, we're not a big church, we're not a rich church, but we always have from 15 to 25 percent, it varies, of our income supporting missionaries who are all around the world. And each of these flags represent a country where there is a missionary supported by this church. Okay, we'll give each of them maybe 100 to $250, or something like that. So the minimum 100, highest 250. That's just what we can afford, but we want to spread out. Why do we do that? Because we give them, we, we're now, you know, we always had enough, but we're, we're never rich. Why do we do that? Because we know what a standard of a good church is. A good church is never introspective. It's always kingdom-minded. Okay. So, yeah, Bible churches usually are small because we teach deep. And not every Christian is ready for this level of teaching. We understand. We don't complain. This is the lot God has chosen for us. We are content. Okay. Yeah. But 
to be a good church, you must be kingdom-minded, not just introspective. Okay. Whatever we need, God will supply. Okay. And with that faith, because I think we do that, God keeps us as a light tower here in this town, for this community. Okay. And, um, and we're glad for that. Uh, Paul, uh, he thanks the church in Philippi for supporting him because they are mission-minded church. And at Paul also he did spiritual warfare. He drove out a demon from a maid whose master made many uh, made money in, through it. So the team was accused, beaten, and jailed. You know, spiritual warfare, warfare is not for everybody's taste. This church, we had one of those so-called splits, because we successfully did spiritual warfare, drove out demons in front of everybody. We see the change of night and day, but instead of praising God, somebody got afraid. We're not. We have clear conscience in what we do. Let's say that. And we're not afraid of demons. They have no power here because we have the Holy Spirit who is greater than all spirits. Right? It's what Christians should do. But not every Christian is mature enough. So we are here to mature Christians. That's what we do. Okay? So Paul did that. He did you know, gospel. He did spiritual warfare. And as they sang hymns in jail. Yes, there were hymns in the first century. Okay? They were released by God. The earth shook and the gate opened. Uh, and the jailer was first shocked. He tried to kill himself. But then he was converted. And he asked, what must I do to be saved? And he was told, you must believe. Then you shall be saved, you and your household. It's not that his household will be saved by his faith, but his faith will bring blessings to his household. And the blessing would include bringing them to faith, personal faith, which will save them. Okay, so this is all working. And Paul uh, used his Roman citizenship to seek for justice and as the re- only as the reaction and the last resort. He has rights, but he don't, doesn't always use his rights. Roman citizenship and his apostle apostleship were all rights, but he doesn't always use them. The citizenship only as a resort, last resort for justice, and the apostleship only when he had to defend that his words are from God. He never used that for money. Okay. So this persecution was from the pagan Romans. That is expected, but you're going to see more. In Thessalonica, Paul, Paul preached to the Jewish synagogue first and converted some Jews and some Greek God-fearers. Okay. The Greeks who go to Jewish synagogues, they're not proselytes because they're not circumcised. There were a lot of proselytes in the first century. Remember in the 5th century, no, uh, century BC, remember Esther and Mordecai? Right? Esther became the queen and Mordecai became prime minister. And they got the order to kill their enemies at their will. And tens of thousands were killed. So many tried to become Jews because of that. Understand? Because this group of people became so powerful and wealthy that people want to join them. And they are allowed. Proselytization was allowed in the Old Testament. They want to become Jews to enjoy the blessings and the protection. Okay? So... It is estimated in the first century Roman Empire, the Jews were everywhere in the Roman Empire, and they were about 10% of the population. 
I'm not talking about pure blood tools. I'm talking about pure blood with proselytes. Okay, ten percent of them. So they are very powerful. Okay. And uh, uh, some Greek theorists, uh, uh, God theorists, they come to the synagogue partly because of kind of admiration. This group of people get so blessed. You know, I want to be close to you. I learn your wisdom of life. And then they they got to know, okay, it's your God that is special. The one God, monotheism, is certainly better than the polytheism, and they become God-fearers. Okay? So if they have not been circumcised, they are called God-fearers. If they are, they're called proselytes. Okay? So uh, in Acts 17, 5 through 7, by, uh, but the Jews becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. Jason was the person who hosted the missionary team. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. This is typically like when Jesus was accused, and then Stephen, okay, accusing them of turning the world upside down. And why were the Jews so upset? Because they believed in the Old Testament promise, literally, that God will give them back their kingdom. And the son, a son of David, will rule over all nations as the son of God. Okay, That would make Israelites, the Jews, as the first nation, which they will benefit because they will be assistant to the king. And, uh, you know, in business, volume counts. You know, so if you take a little profit from a big volume, you get a lot. If you're financial secretary of the king of the world, you're going to be pretty rich. You see, that's what Judas wanted to be. Okay? So they refused to recognize the offer Jesus gave, saying the kingdom had arrived, but it's the spiritual kingdom. It's not the full kingdom yet, but it's a spiritual kingdom. It's real, but it's not the physical one. Not yet. So right now, you're not going to get everything. You actually will give everything. When people get, hit your left cheek, you give your right cheek. Oh, left, right. Okay. So, and that is hard to swallow. Okay. It doesn't meet the standard. That's why they are upset. Okay. And um, Paul and Silas were immediately sent to Berea as protection, while Timothy and Luke were left in Philippi to take care of this new church, where the people confirmed their words with the Bible in uh in Berea. Now these were more noble-minded men than those in uh, Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining in the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. So Paul goes to the um, synagogue, and these are the Jews who had the right priority in authority. It's like the scripture alone, sola scriptura, of the Protestants. Okay? The scripture has higher authority than anything else, tradition or the congregation, church. Okay? So these people checked Paul's words with the scripture and find that they match, and they believed in Jesus. Okay? They had the right authority, then they, uh, they believed, they're saved. Okay? So that's why they're called more noble-minded men. And Thessalonians. 
But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God has been proclaimed by Paul in Berea, also they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. You see, this persecution is from the Jews. Through the mobs and Roman authorities, they are everywhere and they never stop. And Paul and Luke was immediately sent to Athens. Silas uh, and Timothy were left in Berea to take care of this new church, where uh, Paul preached on Mars Hill in Athens, and he converted a few. Paul came then to Corinth, met Aquila and Priscilla, united with Silas and Timothy. He preached in a synagogue and was driven out. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments. No, no dust taken out. Just kind of like Jesus telling his disciples when the city re rejects them for the gospel, okay, uh, shake your boots. Uh, I say boots because we're in Texas. Uh, <laughs> and basically is saying no dust is taken up because this place is condemned. I'm not taking anything that might condemn me. Remember Achan who took the clothing from uh, Jericho and he got condemned. You don't take anything from a condemned place, okay? So you get condemned too. So they say, no more. So Paul did this, okay? And he says, this place is condemned. Your blood will be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. He loved his brethren. He preached to them first as God, Jesus commanded. Gospel is given to the Jews first. But when they reject it will spill out, go to the nations. He did everything right. And there is no regret that he couldn't save these brethren by, by bloodline of his. Okay. So Paul planted a church. He received the divine protection saying, you are safe in this city. And he ministered there in Corinth for one and a half years, during which he wrote First and Second Thessalonians. Okay. And that's the background for these two books. The opposition Paul met were mostly from his Jewish brethren, who refused to give up the desire for a physical kingdom of God in which they are the first nation. They denied the messiahship of Jesus or the reality of the spiritual kingdom of God spreading over all nations. The accusations on Paul's character, the persecution through the mob and the Roman authorities, were mostly incited by the Jews. Yeah, that's a fact. So when dating New Testament books, people often try to identify which Roman one, like Nero in the 60s and Domitian in the 90s. But the Jewish ones are any time. Okay? So you cannot date a New Testament book by saying, oh, you're persecuted. So this must be behind the 60s or behind 90s. Well, the persecution is not Roman. Generally, most persecutions are from the Jews. Okay? And then they go through the Romans. But, you know. So the, I, you know, I think people who dated, just like people who dated First Peter later than Paul, saying that it was because he has many themes that are in Paul's. Apparently, Paul copied Peter. Well, actually, it's easier to copy one document in many rather than the other way around, isn't it? So I mean, their logic is is troublesome, and it's because of preconceptions. Protestant afraid of Catholic claiming the authority of Peter. So they always put them later. So that makes First Peter less important. If it's the first and the foundation of Paul's epistle, it makes it most important. If it's later, it's not important. You see? 
people all have bias. We got to recognize it. We too. So we try to minimize that. Okay. Um, Paul said in First Thessalonians. One, uh, two, three. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted within with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God, who examines our hearts. Okay. Paul now is answering his first accusation that he was preaching error for money, okay. and he counters that he told the truth with pure motive. For he was approved by God, entrusted with the gospel. How can God entrust the gospel to somebody who has wrong motives? Right? So he was approved by God to be entrusted by the gospel. And he spoke not as pleasing men, but God. He did not even care to please his brethren, not to say the Gentiles. Right? So usually people try to please those who are close to them first. Right? And he actually displeases Jews most, right? He did not speak to please men if he did not care about those who close to him, not about those who further from him, right? So he did not preach to please men, but God. No one can cheat God, for God examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, or with a pretext for great for, for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. You see, Paul was accused of expanding God's kingdom to the Gentiles to get money from the Gentiles. Okay? The Jews said, you are twisting God's kingdom. It's supposed to be just for the Jews and you're giving it to the Gentiles. You must be for money. Okay. And he counters that he never used flattering speeches, nor with pretext for greed. He didn't say in this book, but he said it in, in Ephesians. I think it's Ephesians 3. Telling the Gentiles, you had nothing to do with God before, as Gentiles. Okay? He didn't use flattering words. He said the truth, told the truth. We, in general, as Gentiles, we had nothing to do with God. In the classification of holiness, there are holy ones, there are clean ones, we are the unclean ones. Okay? We had nothing to do with God. But it is out of God's grace who gave us everything. We had nothing, now we have everything. We were unclean, now we're not only clean, we are holy. Priests with priesthood. Okay? There's nothing he reserved that he didn't give to us. Yes, the new covenant was designed for Israel and Judah. But they refused the gift. They, they thought it was rubbish. And we saw it as treasure. That's why the God-fearers came to Christ more than the Jews. Right? So Paul, he said, I didn't use flattering speech. I told them what they are. They were nothing. The Gentiles were told as dogs, you know. Well, Americans treasure dogs, but for Middle Easterners, they, they, they despise dogs. Koreans will eat dogs. Some Chinese, Cantonese would do it too. But never your own pet, okay? <laughs> okay. Um, so, that's a different culture. Anyway. So, he, he, he said, God is the witness for the true motives. God, uh, Paul did not seek for glory from any man and did not use the authority he has as an apostle for financial maintenance. 
Yes, Paul insisted that workers of God has a right to be fed by the fruit of his work. Okay, so he said a what is it? A, a cow that uh, plows should not be muzzled, something like that. Quoting Old Testament, right? An ox, an ox that plows should not be uh, uh, muzzled, should not be muzzled. It means that the workers of God have a right to be maintained, not to get rich, but to maintain, okay, to keep on working, okay, and that is a right. But he did not claim that right. You can have a right that you don't use for the sake of love, which he did. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. I remember... You know, my wife, my wife, she's, you all know her. You know, she's a very smart woman. She used to be the national champion in bridge in China. Not an easy thing to do, okay? You know, see, so she is a nuclear engineer. She was working in the superconducting, super collider. She was on, on the way to get a PhD in higher energy physics until she had a baby. And then, of course, the, the other things happened. But her priority changed. Only thing she wants to do is to look at the baby. Everything she does, it makes her smile. <laughs> you know, and whatever. That that's the tenderness a mother have for the newborn. I think all mothers know that, right? So Paul is comparing himself in his tenderness and his gentleness to the Thessalonians, like a mother for the newborn. There's nothing greater than willing to sacrifice life for the well-being of the baby. You see? And, and Paul said, how could I be, you know, trying to exploiting you, you know, with that kind of love? For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You see, all Jewish men must learn to must learn a trade. Not so much for a well-rounded life, that's a Renaissance man's ideal, but for the means of making a living. Now, even the rabbis do the same. There were no paid teachers in Palestine, period. Okay? Everyone, every rabbi makes a living by a trade. Okay? And Paul was a tent maker, so he worked night and day to preach the gospel without seeking for payment. That's why he... Um, uh, let's see, going back. Yeah. Paul asked the Thessalonians to recall how gentle he was to them, like mothers to babies, giving them uh, their whole life to the well-being of the new baby, who is very dear to them. Yeah. He worked day and night. In the day, he's working to, to, to do tents, and the night, he was preaching. He's day, day and night. Okay, And uh, that showed his gentleness. He tried not to be a burden. Okay. He said, you are a witness, also is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward your believers. You see, Paul was accused of being morally impure because they think, you know, he is single. And there's a lot of women who come to Christ. You know, women are more likely to come to Christ than men because their hearts are tender. They are easily moved by the love of God okay, to be drawn to the family. 
man wants proofs. Man wants proofs. Okay, and then usually it comes after a hardship in life. Then when they are saved and they experience God is real, then they become firm believers. Okay, and I have to go through the boundary of death to come to Christ. You know, I was thinking about it. I was even saying, I, you know, thank you for leading me to Christ, but I wasn't until I was on the boundary. That's that's just different between man and woman. So Christians have more women than men. And that's just we need more work on men. Okay, people need to learn more apologetics. Okay, and uh, but Paul was accused of being morally impure, uh, sexually exploiting women because he was single. Okay. Peter was the only married apostle. He travels with his wife. That's his defense. Nobody can accuse him of being impure. The wife always say, he was with me. Okay? Paul didn't have that privilege because by God's grace, he had the gift of singleness, which is a good gift. Okay? If you're single, you, you, you move your homes the quickly, quickest. Quickest, right? See, I remember when my wife and I and Megan, there were three of us already. We committed to be missionaries. Uh, Megan was a baby. So we carry her everywhere we go. It's pretty convenient. But when she starts to go to school, we have to stay in somewhere. Stable. Okay. And then our children multiply. <laughs> and then my books multiply too. So, <laughs> so I have to stay in one place. That's why I became a pastor. That's why I'm here. Okay. God has his sovereignty you know, directing man's life. You know, sometimes by these signs, okay, it shows clearly. And I fast and prayed, uh, and then confirmed. You can sense God's leading. In fast and prayed, it's more sharp in sense. Today is my 40th day, so tomorrow I'm starting you know, fasting, praying for the seminary thing, which you heard about. So, you know, um, Paul calls both God and the uh, Thessalonians as witnesses on how devoutly and upright and blameless we behave. So he he basically rejected outright. He says, I'm totally upright, you know, pure and blameless, and you are my witness. And he says, we behave. In other words, he is always with a team, okay? not alone. And uh, just as you know uh, how we exhorting, uh, how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each other, one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul did the exhorting and encouraging and imploring on the Thessalonians as fathers do to sons to live a worthy life. Haven't any of us? As sons ever heard it from our father, son, don't do this, do that. You carry my name. Our family don't do that. Okay? I have told that to my children. They are my daughters, but they carry my name before they get married. But they they learn to honor their father's name. Okay? So they're never perfect, but they try. Right, so we tried that, and Paul did that to the same, to 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 the to his spiritual children. And how could he live otherwise? He would be a great hypocrite, right? And God knows that he is not. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is—the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. 
The Thessalonians、uh, accepted the word, word of Paul not as the word of man, but as the word of God, which is really what it is. They must have trusted in the character of the messenger. They wouldn't have received it if they have doubted the character, right? So they received it, and the word of God starts to work them, changing their lives. Okay, and that is the proof of the reality of the word of God, the gospel, and the character of the messenger. And for you, brethren, became in, in imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. Okay,、um, Paul was accused of not caring for the people. That that's his third accusation. That he's only want to talk about what he was commanded to tell and to, to bother people into the faith. <laughs> he didn't care about the people. Once he leaves people to Christ, he just leaves, go to el- elsewhere. Well, he does care about people. He goes elsewhere because he has callings to preach, you know. But he always leaves part of the team there to establish church and take care of them. And Paul's care for them is for their ultimate good, that they are saved and they are sanctified. Okay, and uh, uh, the fact that the Thessalonians are imitating Christ and they are persecuted for the sake of righteousness that proves the reality of Christ's life in them. Okay, that also proves that Paul's care for them is is real and is working. Okay, finally, he mentioned the Jews. You are suffering from your own countrymen, which are Romans and Jews, and then. Just as they, like the original church, suffered from the Jews. Okay, so he said the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, they are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, so that they may be saved. With the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. You see, the Jewish rejection of Christ and selfish desire of keeping God's kingdom only for themselves will be judged for God.、Okay? Why do you say? Why does Paul say that、uh, the Jews they they are、um, they hate hostile to all men? Was、well, not that necessary hate all men, but they don't want to share God's kingdom with anybody else. Okay, that's what they're doing. Jesus Christ and Paul. Are sharing the kingdom of God, the new phase of the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom of God, which is higher than the physical kingdom of God before in the Old Testament. They are sharing this with all nations because now the membership is defined by the spirit, not by the bloodline. And these Jewish people said, "You are robbing us our privilege," and they're not happy about it. That's selfishness, and that will be judged. Okay, and what is the judgment? Jesus said in his Olivet discourse, "This generation shall not pass when these things happen," which he means the fall of the temple, right? He said that in thirty-three. One generation is forty years. Thirty-three plus forty, seventy-three. Minus seven years of tribulation, sixty-six. He was expected to come back at sixty-six to rapture the church. So the thousands who once believed in him, these Jews, they stopped believing in him and joined the. Zealots, and they tried to make a rebellion with Rome. They think that if they could last more than seven years, then God has to interfere to honor His word, and then whomever survives will be the Messiah. 
So what happens? In 70, the, in 66, the rebel, rebellion happens. In 70, the temple fell. In 73, Masada fell. No zealots lasted after 73. So self-made Messiah, poof, gone. Okay. So they have to make another one, which is Bar Kokhba, which is also gone. Yeah. Finally learn, okay, we'll have to wait. Okay. So that's what Paul knows about and is predicting about as, uh, as Jesus. And he's not happy about it, but he says, I've done my best to save them. And what brings to them is by themselves. I have clear conscience. So, uh, remember these two verses are the harshest against the Jews in all the Bible. But it is from a Jew. A Jew has more right of criticizing the Jews than the Gentiles. Okay. So, all of us who are Gentiles, who have received the benefit spilled out of the Jews, we are having their Messiah, their new covenant, their Bible. We have no right of simply judging the Jews as a people. We do have a right to judge the faith that is in opposition to Christ. That's where we stand. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your grace through Jesus Christ. Thank you for letting this grace be given to the Jews first and then spilled out to the nations. Thank you for letting us be the receivers for the eternity to come. We are grateful. We're sad that the Jews are refusing your grace. For I know that you have a heart to save them at the end time. That's why you have the tribulation. And during that time, they shall repent and mourn for the one that they have pierced. Before then, let us be gentle to them. But for us, let us be truthful and work hard to make us having clear conscience, as Paul did before. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. If you are in need of having a clearer conscience or want to get involved in the church here, please see us after the service. Please rise. We'll reiterate the song we learned, O May All Who Come Behind Us. Find us faithful as Paul, as he followed Christ. O may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Benediction. blessing from the Lord. May the love of God, the mercy of Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit come down upon us, be in us, and develop us to be Christ-like. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.